Hi, this is the View from the Farm podcast. I'm ag journalist and farmer Ben Harold. This is uh, episode number 14, coming to you on a Friday morning. Had a few things this week get shuffled with uh, some of our story planning meetings and things for Reserve Farmers today. I'll give you a little more on that later. But anyway, coming on a Friday morning here, October 27th, as opposed to the usual Thursday afternoon. Uh, just got several different things to hit on here, and then we'll we'll get out of here for another week. But yeah, it's, uh, I guess, first thing got to talk about, it's it's a lot colder this morning. Uh, it's kind of been, you know, immaculate harvest weather, really, throughout most of October. You know, had, had a few days, it was probably almost even on the warm side, but really just kind of some classic fall weather for the, the bulk of October for, for Missouri, Iowa, a lot of the states around, and, you know, allowed for a lot of good harvest progress. Had had some rain, honestly, probably would like to have more rain than what we've got so far, uh, just catching up a lot of areas that have been in drought but yeah it's been been you know pretty rapid harvest progress and and now this week kind of slowed things down had some rains uh you know a lot of places got you know some rain other places are just kind of one of those damp gray weeks where you know it's kind of hard to get the beans quite dry enough to feel like you can go on them but yeah overall you know a little, little bit slower progress but basically after we've been flying along um you know i think people weren't minding a little reset maybe catch up on a few things and you know got a few more days of october then and all of november to really get back into things and probably next week we're going to check in some more on the numbers that uh kind of that natural break point between october and november will be a good spot to you know take stock of where we are and kind of what's what's coming next anyway but yeah t- today um yeah going to update a little bit on the the weather side of things and then you know kind of what I've been working on this week and looking ahead from Missouri Farmer today um going to talk some about uh, some of the export numbers we saw, kind of a, a recovery in beef exports after a pretty pretty bad uh, export report last week. But just kind of going to see where we're at again for the year on beef and pork exports, which obviously has a pretty pretty big impact on um, you know what what we'll see price wise and everything like that. But yeah, and then uh, gonna main thing I want to talk about today is some some farmland values. I worked on a story for Missouri Farmer today about. Um, land buying trends and of course it's for Iowa Farmer Today and Illinois Farmer Today as well so talk to people in those states as well and just kind of got a sense of what what types of things go into farmers land buying decisions and yeah it's uh, obviously a lot of things you think about and and then also kind of want to talk a little bit about farmland as an investment because obviously you know as farmers we have a very personal connection to the land you know there's there's some farmers that maybe have more of a wheeler dealer mindset and do just kind of view land as an asset. But I think there's there's definitely an emotional connection to it. And there is something pretty powerful and special about, you know, looking out and knowing that you own a piece of farmland for sure. So we're going to want to talk about that and, and hit up a few different topics. But yeah, as far as this morning, it's... Uh, yeah, I think kind of hit in the face how chilly it was walking out the door. And as that front kind of rolled across the Midwest, you know, uh, Nebraska and parts of Iowa, it was cold, you know, down in the 30s and at the uh, the old Harold family farm there. It's uh, kind of been been in the 40s so far, you know, it's, it's breezy and gray too. And, you know, seems like temperatures dropped 20 or 30 degrees when that front came rolling through. So that's uh, quite quite the issue there for sure and I think it always you know gets me it we've had a few days where it's been cooler but this is the first real 
you know, I, I would say cold morning as opposed to just a, you know, something we could delightfully spin as crisp or fall-like or something like that. And so it always kind of, you know, gets gets to this point where you're you're getting the winter coat out or some heavier jackets even, things like that. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, just, just one of those things where, you know, it, it feels like the season's changed in a couple of hours. But, you know, it, it'll be something to, to watch going forward. I think, you know, weather-wise, even if it's cooler now, things will dry for, you know, once we get through the weekend. So I think we'll be able to get back on the horse harvest-wise and start making some more progress there. But, yeah, I definitely starting to play the game of when do we turn on the heater for sure. And I think that's that's a discussion maybe at a lot of farmhouses if you haven't kicked it on already. So... Something to watch. I, I do know it's always, you know, when winter time starts coming, and I know we got months of fall here still, but it does start to, the colder weather points you toward that. And it does remind me, I mean, I think writing about agriculture and then obviously working in it, I'm, you know, very mindful of the seasons, just like I'm sure a lot of you out there are. But th there is definitely a feel, a, a rhythm to things and our, our story planning. Uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit today, but that. That really reflects that as well, because when we're planning stories for certain times of the year, we're thinking what's seasonal, what are farmers going to be doing, you know, this time of year, really even a couple weeks ago, I think I was working on a story about getting livestock buildings ready for winter. And one of my colleagues is going to be writing about, you know, tips for getting everything ready for winter time, winter prep for, for buildings and, and different things like that. And yeah, it's just kind of that that rhythm, but you know, in the, in the spring, that excitement, the weather's warming up and taking to the fields and getting the crop in the ground and really that optimism of the spring, you know, hoping for good yields, good prices, all that. And then, you know, the throughout the spring, getting that crop in month after month and then the the long summer and it can get hot and dry or you can catch rains and really start to feel good about the crop and you know watching as the you know the the real hot weather arrives and the tassels start forming on corn and you know as the the beans canopy and grow up and then seeing them start blooming and setting pods and filling pods and it really is just those familiar rhythms and we we work the state fair in there kind of in the early august period and you know, there's just a lot of different different things that go into that. And then, of course, the, the crops start turning and, and getting closer to harvest time. And then we, you know, hopefully get some beautiful fall days and harvest weather like we've had. And then, uh, yeah, next thing you know, it starts getting cold. And that's kind of the, the one season that, you know, the snow's pretty. Maybe a few snows are nice. But, yeah, it's kind of kind of the one season that's, you know, I, I appreciate, I try to appreciate all the seasons on the farm, but it's the one that kind of, you know, it, it takes a little more work to appreciate maybe, I think, and reminds me of uh, my dad talking about growing up in Nebraska and a lot of those Nebraska farmers, you know, whenever the, the cold weather would arrive, uh, you know, or maybe even around Thanksgiving or something, and you know, the, a lot of times they were retired farmers, but, you know, even even with the mindset, you get harvest done and then you go down to Texas or something like that for the winter. And there were people, people that did that. And I, you know, as the years go by, I, I see some merits of that for sure. And as an ag journalist, you know, it's kind of a little tricky. We're always looking for nice, cool, bright, 
colors for the front page of the the paper and on the website and everything and you you yeah you basically get January and February and even throughout March and the landscape's pretty colorless so you're kind of you know hunting the maybe a fruit veg a vegetable type producer with a greenhouse or something like that just to get some color going but yeah it's uh it's definitely has its challenges but yeah, that was uh, something, you know, speaking of story planning, we had our, our meeting. We have a, a twice a year, we have kind of our big story planning meetings and then smaller meetings throughout the year. But, you know, talking with some of my colleagues about what are the important topics, what do we need to be covering and kind of slotting stories and did that with a, a Zoom meeting um, this time, which, you know, made the drive home after pretty convenient. But there's been times in the past we've met in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where the main uh, IFT public publications offices there, our little family of publications. And I, I remember, you know, driving to Cedar Rapids for the first time when I was interviewing for the job and just really, you know, driving home the, the agricultural of Iowa, you know, driving up through eastern Iowa. And it's just, you know, beautiful country. There's kind of some rolling hills to it, but obviously very, very productive fields and getting up around Iowa City and everything. And, there, there was one time, you know, this was years later after I'd been up to some meetings, but I noticed uh, University of Iowa's Kinnick Stadium was pretty close to the road I drove by on. So I popped off and went over and took some pictures of that. And it was pretty cool to see that big old stadium. And of course, they had a couple rows of corn planted out front of it just to, you know, be symbolic of, of what's so important to Iowa. But yeah, it is kind of fun, you know, especially our meetings are usually kind of one in the spring, one in the fall for these big meetings. And I've, I've definitely enjoyed, you know, seeing that country during planting and harvest time. And especially the fall, there's something about, you know, the, the Midwest is, you know, kind of a, a humble geographic region. It's not like, oh, yeah, come see our, our gorgeous canyons and mountains and things like that. But there really is something about seeing farm country in the fall with the leaves turning and there's just kind of a, a circle of life kind of moment to it, too, you know, bringing those crops in after the long year and everything. So, yeah, definitely have enjoyed going to Cedar Rapids for those meetings. I, I love talking about what we're going to write about, what's going on in agriculture, and, and most of all, you know, what, what's important to farmers and ranchers, what's going to help them, you know, learn more, do what they do better, and what's going to give us good opportunities to talk to them and learn what's going on out there. So really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, speaking of stories, one I was working on this week that ended up being pretty interesting um, talking about what goes into farmers' decisions to buy land. And it, it's kind of a story. It's always a topic, I think. Um, and obviously land values themselves, just writing about trends and, you know, our prices going up and, and by how much. But, you know, even going beyond that, just to what helps farmers make those decisions to buy, I think was kind of an interesting angle. And it, it is topical. I've, I've mentioned on this podcast, but a couple you know, last month, I guess it was in September, there was a, a farm in Missouri sold for a record $34,800 an acre. And that was, of course, an auction. You have two people that really want it. And, you know, like a farmer in that area I was talking to after that said it only takes two people to make an auction. And they, they definitely made an auction that day. But yeah, I, th I think... Um, you know, that that's one example. And, you know, obviously not every piece of farmland's worth $30,000 an acre, but it, it really did, you know, drive home that there are certain factors that can really cause people to pay. And 
I, I know talking with some some ag economists, uh, professors in the ag economics departments uh, at different universities. You know, they and some of these are you know people each state: Iowa, Illinois, Missouri. Some of the ones I kind of was focusing on. They have farmland value surveys and they see what the price trends are doing, but then also what factors are influencing those buying decisions and. Anyway, just talking to some of the people that help run those surveys for the universities and, again, kind of study, research, teach about ag economics and, and farmland values and things like that. Um, you know, I think there is the, the core business element of it. You know, we always talk about farmers penciling things out. And, you know, if you're going to buy a farm, you want to be able to, to make a profit off of it. I mean, certainly eventually. And I know some farmers, if you own enough land, you can kind of overpay for a piece of land and then let the other land kind of help it along. But I think, you know, we that is a core element, though. People want to know, is this something that's going to overall help the operation or be, you know, a long-term drag on the operation. And then, of course, uh, you know, it's like the, the cliche, but it's true about real estate being location, location, location. And it's the same, you know, with farms, talking with, with some of the different sources for that story. It's, you know, you can't move a farm and how does a farm fit with your operation? And as farming operations have gotten bigger, you know, it doesn't have to be as concentrated. But, you know, the the example they gave, there's just nothing like the the 80 that's across the street, the 80 acre farm across the road that, you know, maybe a farmer's had their eye on for years and it finally comes up for sale, you're probably going to be willing to take a little bit of bigger swing at trying to get that thing bought just because of how, you know, how great the location is and how important it is to you personally with, with where your farm is. And I, I definitely, yeah, think about with you know, buying farms like that, it's obviously a big decision because as land goes up, there's, you know, more and more dollars at stake, you know, even a, a pretty modestly sized farm, you know, can be a million dollar farm when you start talking about five, 6,000 bucks an acre, or 10,000 bucks an acre for a lot of, you know, the good farmland and especially up there in Iowa, they know a thing or two about expensive and productive farmland. But yeah, it's, it's really, you know, it comes down to timing too. I, I do know, you know, farm profits have been pretty good, you know, just looking nationally, 2020, 2021, 2022. And I know 2020, there was a derecho big storm across a lot of Iowa. And then um, last year and this year, there's been a lot of drought issues. But all in all, with, with uh, you know, crop prices we've seen, and then some of the the payments and programs available for farmers during the kind of the, the COVID era, if you will, you know, it was a pretty good years for farmers. And so there's a lot of farmers with cash on hand and, you know, there's farmers buying farms with taking out smaller loans than they would have otherwise, or even just buying farms outright. And I think that kind of affects the equation a little bit because, you know, a, a factor that's a, you know, it was described by one of the ag economists, I think one of the ones over at Illinois I talked to, he said, you know, it's a real headwind, the the higher interest rates. And, you know, it's not as high as they've been other times historically, but I think a lot of times it's the pace of the change. And, you know, interest rates have really increased pretty rapidly the last, well, let's say two years, you know, I'd have to look at the charts to see exactly, you know, kind of when the, the steep increase got started. But again, it's it's just sort of the, the rapid change where from, from one year to the next, it feels like, you know, the whole ballgame has changed in terms of 
how how much money costs, you know, how much it costs to borrow money or even, you know, farmers using operating loan notes each year, you know, that's just, it's, it's a factor for sure. But when it comes to buying, you know, again, if farmers, if they have more cash on hand, if they're able to pay down or farmers, you know, overall debt load on their farm is, you know, relatively small per acre, you know, that gives you a lot more opportunity. If you think about, you know, if a farmer, you know, owes, maybe an average of a thousand bucks an acre on their farm or something like that, or 500 bucks an acre. And that land's worth, you know, five, 6,000 bucks an acre, then that's a pretty, pretty steady, stable position to be in. And as far as, you know, the numbers, um, I think it was Bruce Sherrick there at University of Illinois talking with him. And he's, he said a lot of good things about owning farmland and he owns some farmland himself and grew up on a farm, of course, but um, he was talking about 13.9% is the, uh, I think the average debt load for farmland in the United States. So a pretty small number and smaller than what it's been at other times in farming history. So, you know, just a general trend is that farmers owe less on, on their land than they have at other times in farming history. And I, I think that means that the interest rate thing isn't quite as big of an impact but of course, the the caveat to that is it it still is an impact. Farmers do still borrow money. You know, banks banks have agribusiness divisions. You know, they're 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 paying for big buildings too with their agribusiness divisions. So it's still a big part of agriculture and uh, definitely having an impact. And we'll see. You know, if it does impact land prices more going forward, especially if we you know roll with these higher interest rates for a longer period of time, or if, if the increases continue. But I, you know, I know talking with uh, even ag lenders and things like that I've talked to, you have to think a little more on some of that stuff. But as far as what, what impact we have seen on land values, you know, we've had recent years where farmland values were, I mean, going up kind of in the ballpark of 20% a year, things like that. And it, it, they say it's, you know, farmland values appear to still be increasing, but it's a slower increase than what we've seen in recent years. So, you know, more modest climbing each year in farmland values. And, you know, I, I think that's tied to this year and then forecasting next year. It looks like, you know, farm profit margins, farm total profits are looking like they're going to decrease some. And so if you think about that, um, you know, the, again, the part we started with where farmland buying and farming the land is a, a business at the core. And so if you know what you'll make on that land is less, you know, you'd probably be a little less willing to pay for it. And so there's a little less demand there anyway. And, you know, as, as far as going forward, you know, there's long term, I think everyone thinks farmland's a good investment. But, you know, the next few years, if profit margins on the farm are a little tighter, you know, that could kind of calm down the increase a little But We're probably due for that, I think, a little bit. Because if you look at, at farmland long term, you know, from, I don't know, the, the 30s up until now, 40s up until now, take your pick when you want to start. But basically, farmland has increased about 6% a year on average. I think some people say 5 or 6%. So basically, you know, it's, it's been kind of that gradual increase. And, you know, there, there are times it's dropped um, in the 80s, obviously, with the farm crisis, farmland values really dropped, and there were a number of factors at play there, of course, but that, you know, was a significant and historic event. And there have been other times that they more kind of were stagnant and level, 
but then we have times like I was talking about last year where they jump by 20%. And so you kind of get this average, you know, 6% increase in farmland values long term. And I, I think that kind of testifies to the, the value of farmland. It's like Bruce there at University of Illinois was saying, you know, he, he said this in presentations and, you know, talked about it in my interview with me. You know, he said of farmland, what asset would you rather own? And if you think about it, you know, if, if something has an, a, at this point, very long track record of increasing in value 6% a year, it's a very good, obviously, inflation hedge because that, you know, long term, that's going to outpace inflation. Even if we have, you know, certain years like, like in recent history where inflation really pops. But, you know, on the whole, a 5% five to 6% increase in something's value over a long history, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hold up very well relative to inflation. And then on the, on top of that, of course, we're talking about farmland that generates a profit every year. So it's not just like, you know, something you buy like a house and you're like, okay, this is good. It gains value and my net worth goes up. And then somewhere way down the road, if I want to sell it, you know, it, it'll pay off quite well. But with farming, the, 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 the land keeps generating that money every year. It's almost like a, a stock with a really good paying dividend. And, you know, there's obviously years it's not as good, but... You know, pretty much with the element of federal sub federal crop insurance, um, you know, that kind of gives you that sort of baseline of support each year. And so, yeah, there's a, a lot of things that, that make land attr attractive. And, you know, even just some of the ag economists I'm talking to, they, you know, they'll say, again, talking about that dip in the 80s or different times where farmlands kind of held level there's any any one era, any one group of years that things could happen. And so, you know, they, you know, Bruce at Illinois, Bruce Sherrick, he was hesitant to be like, oh yeah, farmland's going to do X, Y, Z in the next three years because, you know, global events happen, crop prices change, there's export trends, there's all kinds of different things that can change. But he said, if you think long-term, if you think over a generation, over 30, 40, 50 years, you know, Farmland's still going to be valuable. People are still eating. The world population's growing. Um, the, there's sort of a, a rise in the global middle class, if you will, or a rise in um, incomes generated as, as the world continues to develop and advance. And so, yeah, there's going to be demand for, for crops grown on good farmland for, for the foreseeable future. And then even the aspect of, you know, there's more and more USDA programs relating to um, carbon or just uh, kind of, you know, being environmental, being green, things like that. And, you know, farmland is, is an industry, obviously, that stands poised to capitalize on a lot of that. And so, you know, there's a lot of things looking up on agriculture. And I mean, you know, with stocks, he even said, you know, 50 years from now, I know what that farmland's going to be. And generally speaking, what it'll be worth and the value of it and the, you know, what it'll be able to produce. But 50 years from now, do you know what Apple's going to be? The company, obviously a big, big, well, you know, well-performing stock here in recent years. And, you know, yeah, I, I imagine it then they'd be trotting out the iPhone 57 or something like that and, you know, still be trucking along. But you, you never know. There's There's companies that are big giants of the industry that go out of business or become a lot less smaller market share. And so, you know, there, there's definitely some of that up and down the volatility with the stock market and farmlands is a little more stable. And, you know, we do see some outside investors in farmland. 
Um, you know, you always, that, that, that's part of the picture, but you know, it, it's a relatively small part of the picture. I mean, most people, you know, who are buying land or farmers wanting to, you know, farm it themselves, or maybe people with some agriculture connection, they're wanting a farm to own, but they will rent it out to a farmer they know or things like that. But as far as like, you know, big investment funds or the, the idea of Bill Gates buying farmland, and he does own, you know, some, some farmland. But you, you just look, if people are looking at just from an investment perspective, you have these times where, you know, interest rates get high or maybe farm profits shrink a little and, you know, cash rents kind of follow the trend of that. And so, you know, you may end up seeing farmland that, you know, people could just go invest in like treasury notes or something like that if those prices keep shooting up like they've been. So definitely a lot of a lot of things to consider there. But the, the takeaway from all of that, and I'm, I'm sure I've broke it down long enough, but yeah, farmland remains a, a good, good asset, a good thing farmers want to buy, people want to buy and uh, holds its value well, generates a profit, you know, most of the time. And the the thing about it too is it doesn't come up for sale very often. You know, there's a lot of that record-breaking farm had been owned for four generations by the same family, that, that sale. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of, you know, waiting before you have an opportunity to buy. And so I think, you know, that goes into, again, another reason farmers might be willing to pay a little more if they know that, okay, in 30 years or in 10 years even, that's probably going to look like a pretty good decision, even if you feel like you paid 10, 20, 30% more than what it would have been worth today in your mind. So I, I think that that rarity of farms hitting the market, because a lot of farmers you buy land and you farm it, you know, you sell once in a while, but not that often. Some, some people don't really ever. So I, I think that scarcity of farmland hitting the market definitely helps, helps support demand for it when it does come up for sale. So yeah, that was, that was pretty interesting. I, I think, you know, it's, it's a fascinating aspect, uh, you know, those land buying decisions and, and farm values. And so I was happy to get to talk about that, write about that. And uh, yeah, I just want to touch on um, some, some export news just because I know last week talking about the, the beef exports were, it was a pretty dismal beef export report last week the USDA put out. But it did um, kind of bounce back uh, this this week, the information from the USDA. And so I think that, you know, was kind of a positive sign, kind of helped maybe support cattle markets after they'd had some losses earlier in the week. But um, yeah, as far as the, the beef export report, um, let me get these numbers here. Yeah, it was over 17,000 tons. Um, of course that's for 2023 delivery and almost 4,000 for 2024. So basically over 21,000 tons in this export report. And that was up from, it was only 591 tons last week, a very low, low week at the lowest had been in you know, over a year, but then this week was the highest had been at least a couple of weeks. So it was quite the, quite the bounce back anyway, I guess actually the highest since July. So let's say highest in a couple months, which was definitely noteworthy. And then, you know, just looking at the year picture on beef, we we've talked about, it's been not a great year for beef exports. Uh, you know, a few, few different factors at play there and the, the dollar has been stronger and, you know, there, there are certain markets that are big beef markets. And if they take more or less, it'll have a picture on the overall 
numbers, but so far for the year, 769,000 tons of beef exports, but it was 937,000 a year ago. So it was a pretty robust beef export year last year, kind of lagging behind this year, but, you know, still got a couple more months to go. And then, of course, obviously we can see what 2024 is going to bring, but yeah, the, the five-year average is kind of, I think it's 800-some thousand. It's kind of between the two. But yeah, so we're a little bit behind the recent average in last year. But it was a good week for beef export news. So we'll, we'll see if that can continue, keep, uh, keep that demand for beef going. On the pork side, uh, pork exports have obviously been having a, a better year than beef exports. Um, just as far as the latest report, it was uh, about 28,500 tons of uh, pork exports. That's for the, the week ending October 19th. Um, this report came out yesterday, October 26th. So it's kind of a one-week lag, and when you get the data, they get things rounded up. But anyway, the, the 28,500, it was down from 31,600 the previous week and below the four-week average. But, you know, there is kind of that week-to-week ebb and flow. Um, if you look at the, the yearly picture to get the big picture for pork, um, we're up to 1.5 million tons of pork exports for 2023. Uh, that's up from, let's see, yeah, 1.37 million a year ago. So 1.37 million at this point a year ago. 1.5 million this year, so definitely an increase there. A little below the five-year average of 1.59 million um, uh, tons of pork exports by you know this point in the year. But we've had a, a pretty hot run of pork exports the last last few years, and so you know to be close to that average, I think, is a good sign. And yeah, like I mentioned, it's still running ahead of last year's pace. So beef exports run a little behind last year's pace. Pork exports run a little ahead, but definitely something we'll keep watching going forward. And yeah, as far as going forward, just going to be working on some stories, trying to um, get interviews set up. We're going to feature some century farms, have a, a series on those stories coming up. And it's always interesting. I've, I've done some of those, a lot of those actually in the, the past and you know, uh, some of them are right at, you know, a little over 100 years, some of them 150. And then even talked with one a couple of years ago, it was they, they started farming that piece of land in 1804, which was 17 years before Missouri even became a state. And it was basically right after the Louisiana Purchase where the, the claim to Missouri and all of the, the land, that big chunk of land west of Mississippi had just recently transferred from France to the United States. So, yeah, that was really interesting. And, you know, a farm with over 200 years of history is a pretty special thing. And so, yeah, I mean, we all know even 30 years on a farm is a pretty special thing. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool to to get to write those stories. And it helps dig into farm history because I think, you know, farming does have a really fascinating story to tell. And it's cool to get to be be a part of that process. And um, then, yeah, going to do gonna, working on a story about trade policy and that can, you know, obviously train, change from administration to administration, but kind of going to look at the current the current picture, but then also talk with some of the groups that, you know, work regardless of which administration it is with, the, you know, the Meat Export Federation and some of the, the groups working on uh, corn and soybean exports and that kind of thing. So going to take a look at that. Uh, going to get some warmer weather next week will be nice, a, kind of a gradual warm up. And like I mentioned, maybe some clearer weather. So might get, get some good progress going on corn and soybean harvest. I know it's kind of all over the board. There's places you 
you look around, there's still quite a few crops in the field. There's places where it seems like people are getting closer to the finish line. So we'll dive into the numbers a little bit next week, see what we have there. Maybe check in on the, the drought picture. We didn't really hit on that this week, but it definitely we, we had some slight improvements with some of the rains rolling through parts of the, the Midwest and South and things like that. And so we'll update on that, see if we can kind of keep getting some rain maybe in, in places to help uh, the Mississippi River situation. And yeah, a lot going on. We're going to turn the calendar from October to November and, and really start drilling down on what we've got left on harvest and looking ahead to this this wonderful winter time we have coming up. But we'll still enjoy fall for now. So I've enjoyed having you. Thanks for listening. This was the View from the Farm podcast and have a good weekend.